Let's take the Word of God together this morning and turn to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 13. This morning, I want to tell you about the love of God. Not my words, but God's words. There's no greater way to express God's love than what God's Word says about His own love. And in John, 1 John chapter 4, we've been looking at what God's love looks like, but we also see really at what is the heart of the love of God. 1 John 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son. To be, though propitiation, for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him, and he in us, because he hath given us of his Spirit. The love of God is the great and grand theme of the Scriptures. To know God is to know love. To know the love of God is to not just know something that God does, but the something that God is. To know God is to have a saving knowledge of God. It is in God's nature and God's attributes to give all that He gives us. We read there in our call to worship of the very many benefits, and the psalmist was reminding us there, do not forget the benefits of God, and as a result, we bless the Lord, and it is to the very a core of our souls, of our being. But when we think about the love of God, what is the great demonstration? Well, the great demonstration of God's love is His provision of the gospel. Everybody who knows Christ today knows that your greatest need was met when you, as a filthy sinner, were provided the gospel. The gospel not only was offered to you, it was given to you, it was applied to you, it was accomplished for you on the cross of Calvary. With that accomplishment of your salvation, the forgiveness of sin was completed in its totality and the salvation of sinner was accomplished. God did this in consistency with his own glory and his own justice. He did not do this because you were worthy of that. He did that because that was according to his own glory. It was consistent with his character. So God has shown himself to be love. Therefore, we cannot, we cannot know eternal bliss, eternal happiness, eternal joy, unless through the gift of repentance and through belief, we understand that the love of God has been demonstrated toward us. We all stood condemned. We stood righteously only in our own merits, which is of no value. We stood ready to be condemned for all of eternity. Not a single word we could speak, not a single thought we could have, 
Nothing we could accomplish would make God love us. His love is the very nature of who He is. We only deserved wrath. We only deserved eternal separation. We only deserved to be forever apart. And had God seen fit to do that, God would have been just as right to condemn us as He was to save us. Now, if we were to try to go throughout the entire world and try to find the most or a better display or a better demonstration of God's love, we could search the entire universe and we'd never find a greater demonstration of love than what we see being demonstrated through Jesus Christ on the cross. There is no greater demonstration of love. Ephesians 5 is a beautiful passage about the love of Christ for his bride and it gives us a beautiful picture of how husbands should love their wives as Christ loved the church. But even the love a husband has for a wife does not even come close to the love of God for his people. In these verses, John has not dismissed, discounted, or removed himself away from brotherly love. As a matter of fact, that's the very first phrase in verse 7. I realize we're going through this verse by verse, but this has been the theme. He continues to say, you can talk about the love of God. You can know what the love of God is. But if you don't have love for one another, you don't truly know the love of God. Now, for some of you, that opening comments, that introduction about the love of God may have meant nothing to you. Now, my prayer is, is that those were the most beautiful words you've heard. But to those who are outside of Christ, the love of God really has no significance. It has no real meaning in the life. It's just compared to be, yes, some other person loves me. But the love of God is immeasurable. And the love of God towards you was absolutely free. So really, what John is enforcing here and reminding us of is that the evidence that you know the love of God is that you have love for one another. There's really three things I want to give you, not as an outline, but three thoughts that are going to lead us into this exposition. First of all, love is of God. Um, that love is not something that is a part of Him. It is exactly who He is. Because love is of God, then love is a fruit of His Spirit and grace. In other words, John would never tell us to do something that we could not do. In other words, if you have been saved, you are, in the, you are in the family of God. Love one another is not impossible nor difficult because it is in us. It is the fruit. It is the evidence that we are, in fact, understand the love of God. And thirdly, love is the evidence. Love is the evidence that we are born of God. This letter that John penned under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit it's not only a doctrinal statement, it's not only a doctrine of our faith, but it is an exhortation to demonstrate the love that you have been loved with. And that if you are in Christ, you will demonstrate that love. It's not that you might, it's not that you may, it's not that you conditionally will, you will love one another because it is impossible not to. So we see that this continues these lines of thought and the only way that can be driven home any more clearly about what the love of God is is how John pens this by saying to know the real love of God is to know how to love one another. 
Notice there in verse 7, he says, let us, beloved, love one another. Why? Because love is of God. Now, we are called throughout the scriptures not only to love one another, but we are also called to love them who do not love us. Jesus, speaking in Luke 6, verses 32 through 35, says, For if ye love them which love you, what thank have ye? For sinners also love those that love them, and if ye do good to them which do good to you, what thank have ye? For sinners also do even the same. And if ye lend to them of whom ye hope to receive, what thank have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love ye your enemies and do good, and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest. For he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Think about that for a moment. God is kind even to the unthankful and to the evil. Galatians 6.10, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. We are called to love one another, not just those who love us, not just our friends, but even called to love our enemies. Why? Because love is of God. John very clearly gives us the reasons. Often people say, why must I do what you're calling me to do? He, go, he clearly tells us why. Love is of God. The love of God commands us to love. This is a love not only a command, but it's a love that is according to His purposes. It's according to His will. And love is eternally pleasing in His sight. Romans 5.5 5. Hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. The love of God is spread abroad. It is the fruit of His Spirit. It is the evidence of our regeneration. The evidence of your regeneration is not your profession. It is your demonstration of love. Anyone can profess to know the love of God. There are people that profess to know the love of God who do not love God. The love of God is demonstrated by the very way in which we love one another. This is the Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit's work in us. The Spirit of truth. That is why we can love. It is the only reason we can love is because love comes from the presence of God. If I love you as a brother or sister in Christ, the only reason I love you properly is because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit isn't there, I don't love you properly and you don't love me properly. The Spirit of God gives us the ability to love. This is not a mental decision to make. This is not a motivational speech you give yourself before you walk out the door for work. This is the evidence that God dwells within you. You will love and you'll love one another. God is love, verse 80 says. He said, He that, or the end of verse 7, everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God. You cannot get any more direct than that. If you do not love, then you do not know God. God is love. What is the nature of God's love? The nature of God's love is witnessed in His mercy that is demonstrated towards us. His love is shown in His forgiveness towards us. 
God Himself is the very source of love. And that source of love will flow directly from those who know Him. A person who's been born again is not just a person who has a new outlook on life. The Gospel is not come to Jesus and have a better positive outlook on life. No, to be born of God is to be regenerated and to have a change of nature. Your nature changes. And yes, you have a new nature and you have an old nature. The Apostle Paul wrote that you are going to battle the old man, but you have the ability to love. Why? Because your nature has been regenerate. God knows what love is. The presence of His love will be in His people. What John is saying very clearly here is if if this evidence or this fruit of love is absent then God's not there at all. You say, but I do so many good things. I have helped so many people. I'm demonstrating love daily. Not this love. This love is not just doing a series of good works and good deeds and being charitable. We should be all of those things. This love he's talking about is a direct result of the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. An unbelieving man can love his wife not the way Ephesians 5 tells him to. I hope we understand that today. Two people, two unbelievers can stand and get married together and and love and say we love one another, but an unbelieving man cannot love his wife the way that we're told to love one another unless he knows Christ. The only way, men, that we can love our wives as Christ loved the church is through the Holy Spirit power. There's no way you can love your wife on your own in this manner. God gives you the ability to love your wife. Will it be perfect? No. But you are loving her in a way that only the presence of God can do. That's what's at the heart of this. That this presence of God's love is a fruit. If it's not there, then God is not present. And if God's not present, you are unredeemed. And if you are unredeemed, you still stand condemned. And if you still stand condemned, then one day the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. No more comforting words have ever been spoken. God is not moved by man's actions to love. In other words, God did not love me because my actions merited His response. God is love. Love is the very essence of who He is. His very nature is love. Every work, and I mean what I'm saying, every work and every aspect of His will is driven by love. Even when we don't fully understand, how can that work of God be an act of love? He never ceases to not be love. The love of God really is beyond any human comprehension alone. Verse 9 In this, he's keeping the context here, in this was manifested or revealed the love of God toward us. Now the us there is not every single person unconditionally. But the love of God toward us, that means if you know this love of God, then you know this God has saved you. That His love has been shown to you. His love has been demonstrated to you. To know this is to know God. 
How did he reveal it to us? Because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. The ultimate demonstration of the love of God is God the Father sending his son, the only begotten son, into this world for you. Not because you earned it, not because you deserved it, but because God is love. If we would stop in our busy lives long enough to really think about what that means, our response would be perpetual, continual worship every moment of every day. God did not have to send His Son for you. God is not obligated to you. God's not obligated to me. God does not have to do anything I tell Him, want Him, suggest to Him. But yet He loved. He demonstrated it, revealed it by sending His only begotten Son into the world to die on our behalf. God's love to us is revealed and manifested in many ways, but it's particular in these two areas. Verse 9, again, God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live. We've become so familiar with John 3.16 that we don't meditate on it very long because we say we've learned to memorize it. We just rattle it off. But for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. What's the command? The command is to believe. Who's the whosoever? It means exactly what it sounds like. Whosoever believes and calls on the name of the Lord will not perish. Whoever believes in Him will not perish. Who do we give that message of love to? Every single living human being. It's the free offer of the gospel. I don't determine who gets to hear it. I don't determine who's, who, who is respectable enough. I simply proclaim the love of God. I proclaim the truth of God's Son coming into this world. And man is then held responsible to believe or unbelief. And yet behind it all, there's a sovereign hand of God in salvation that leaves every single hearer of the gospel today without excuse. If you end up in hell after you die, it is not God's fault. It is your wicked unbelief. The love of God is immeasurable. It is glorious. And yet so many will say, I don't have time for God. I don't have time to hear the things of the gospel. I want nothing to do with it. And yet here the message is being proclaimed. Here the command is being given. Repent and believe the gospel. Does the love of God mean anything to you today? The love of God for the believer means everything. And yet God's demonstrated this love. Romans 5.8, but God commendeth. Again, here's that word, His love toward us. In that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us, not after you became a less of a sinner, but while you were in the most wicked position you could possibly be in, which is what you were even from conception, from the womb, conceived in iniquity, born in sin, God demonstrated His love towards sinners and died for us. The principal evidence of God's love for us it ought to fill us today with a desire to worship and a desire to simply be marveled by the reality that Christ was sent to be subjected to all the penalties and the punishment and the wrath of God that you and I deserve. Isaiah 53, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. 
This is not some small bruise. This is to crush him. This is for him, Christ, on the cross to completely absorb the full wrath of God. Not for his sin, but for yours. The love of God. What does his love, what does this love do? It restores us to life. It gives us life. Not that we will never die physically, but we are restored. We are given eternal life. It is, isn't it strange that God would love something so unlovable? You see, our love is so limited because whether we admit it or not, you love what appeals to you. You only, by human nature, only love often what can give you something in return. God did not love because you appealed to Him or because you could give Him anything in return. He loved you because He is love. Imagine loving the most unlovable creature that's ever walked the face of this earth and to give you the benefits of that freely, freely by His grace. It's quite remarkable that this only begotten Son would be sent into the world to die for unworthy sinners. To be wounded for our transgressions, to be pierced, and yes, to die, to be buried, but gloriously to be raised again, proving that God the Father was satisfied with the payment. What was paid for? If you're in Christ, your sins. How many of them? All of them. Even the worst ones? Even the ones that people sitting here today, I don't want them to know anything about. I don't want them to know I think that. I don't want them to know I go there. I don't want them to know that I still have this in my heart. Yes, even those, brethren. Even those. Is that a license to sin? Absolutely not. But are all of my sins paid for? Yes. Why? Because if any sin remains in me when I die, I cannot enter into heaven. I can't enter into the glory because sin isn't present there. And yet, here I am. I don't love God the way I should. I don't return His love. I don't live for God the way I should. I don't speak enough about God how much He loves me. I become selfish and arrogant and prideful. And yet, here's the love of God still there. And every day I find out I'm more and more unworthy to receive it, and yet He has not in any sense, shape, way, or form loved me any less or loved me any more. And yet every one of us who loves someone, your love goes up and down. Husband, you tell your wife you love her, but I'm telling you, your love for her changes at moments. It changes at times when you become irritated, when you become frustrated. Our love is not always consistently the same, and yet the love of God never, ever changes. That's amazing. Because I know I don't love the way I should. But He does. Again, John wants us to be sure under the inspiration of the Spirit that we know exactly what this is, that we might live through Him. And he says, here it is. He uses a word herein. We don't use that word in our modern English, but it's a powerful word. Herein is love. Not, here's, a, here's a, an illustration. Here's an example. 
That's why I'm not giving you any worldly illustrations today other than just say this, herein is love. Not that we love God, period. None of this has anything to do with your love of God. Nope, none of it. And yet, but that he loved us. When did he love us? Before he ever even sent his son. Notice the order. And sent his son to be, not to be part of, but to be the propitiation for our sins. He loved us. We didn't love him. There was nothing that will make a lost person, again, I'm not talking about provoking people, than to tell them that they're an enemy of God. And yet that's what the Bible says. That to know not God is to be an enemy of God. Oh, I love the idea of God. There's a lot of people in this world that love the idea of God. They love the idea that there's some cosmic being who is looking down on them and is ensuring that every person has their guardian angel and everybody has something protecting their well-being. People love the concept of God. What they don't love is their accountability to God. You are accountable to the love of God today, whether you want to be accountable to it or not. He loved us. Not that we loved him. He is the propitiation. Propitiation literally means to be the requirement. Christ was dead. Died under the law, died under the curse, and he bore in his own body our sins. What love must that be? People will often boldly proclaim that they would give their life for someone else. But I will tell you, if you're really put to that test, there are very few that will give their life for anyone except the people that are closest to them. I've said with all honesty, and I, maybe I'm being too transparent, but in my humanity, when I think about giving my life for people, there are very, very few who would fall into that category. And I think that's true for you. Oh, we can proclaim it. We can boldly say, I would die for anybody who's another believer. We can say it. But actually when it came to it, and doing is another story. But you realize, God was not making an assessment as to whether or not that person loves me a little bit more, so I'm going to die for them. No, he died for even the most vile, wicked sinner. You think of the worst, most heinous crime that could ever be committed. And Christ, if that person is appointed to come unto Christ, his blood would save them. That man can't say, I did anything worthy to receive this. He loved us, we did not love him. Romans 5.10, For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature, listen to what Paul's writing there, the children of wrath even as others. 
but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. For by grace are you saved. Freely loved us with no return of love upon our part or by our account. Think about that. God didn't love us because he knew he was going to get an equal return on his investment. No, but if by his love, in order that sinful men may possess eternal life for his glory. In order for that to, be, to occur, it was required that sin be paid for. It was required that an atonement be made. Why? Because the justice of God must be satisfied. Why did Jesus have to die? Because it was the only way to pay for sin. Who needs to have their sin paid for? Romans 3, 23, 24. For all have sinned, come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That last part of that verse, verse 24, is on the front of the church bulletin every single week on purpose. Being justified freely. By our righteousness? No, by His grace. Christ's death did not make God love us. But it was because He loved us. There's a big difference. Christ coming into the world was the very effect of the love of God. Not because we did something to earn that love. Spurgeon summed it up by saying, by nature we, have had, we had no love to God. We were His enemies. We loved sin. We had ruined ourselves by it. But God took out of His own bosom the only Son He had that He might make reconciliation for us and put away our sin. Speaking on verse 10, He says, Herein is love, says the Apostle, as though you could find it nowhere else as it is here. Here is the height and the depth of immeasurable love. Here is love summed up. Here is love's climax. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. No preacher can sum it up any better than what John writes in verse 10. Here in His love, not that we love God, but He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Friends, we have to remember that there was no love for God from us. Only a hatred of God. Only a hatred of His goodness. The enemy, the separation, was not on God's side towards us, but our side towards Him. That's the reality. He loved us. The gift of Christ. The only acceptable payment. The only acceptable sacrifice was Christ. God's righteous and holy justice was demanded. Justice was, of course, demanded. But what applied it? The love of God. God could not, just, could not be just if He pardoned sin without a payment and without an atonement. Some have made the faulty assumption that God could have just simply forgiven without an atonement. That's not Bible doctrine that's sound. 
Sin could not be pardoned without an atonement. All of those Old Testament sacrifices, all of those types, all of those shadows was pointing to the perfect sacrifice, the Lord Jesus Christ. To say God could have just simply turned, his, uh, turned a blind eye, He can just ignore it, Christ didn't have to die, would be to teach heresy. It was the love of God sending His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die in our place in order that sin would be pardoned. The very greatness, the immeasurableness of this is the fact that God's love moved the Father to send His Son to a shameful death to pardon sinners. And then John ties them together. Again, he tells us all this for a reason. He repeats or adds to what he said in verse 7. Verse 11, Beloved, knowing what you know now, here's what he means. If God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. If God loved us in such a way, in such a sacrificial way, then we ought to, as a result, love one another. Now, brethren, it should not be difficult for us today. If you're an object of this love, this is not asking you to do something that's difficult. If you sit here today and you say, it is just impossible to love other believers. It's impossible to love other people, even my enemies. You have to examine your heart today and say, am I really even in the faith? This love is not a natural human love. This is love that is given by the Holy Spirit of God. Because we've already established the fact you cannot love a single person like you should because you love yourself too much. I love myself too much. I would never demonstrate this kind of love unless the Spirit is there. That's the evidence. And that's what John is saying here. It should not be difficult for those who've received this mercy to show mercy towards others. The question has to be asked, why would someone who has been the object of this love of God refuse to love others? Because John's very clearly telling us there's something wrong. There's something desperately wrong especially in the life of a, of a believer who cannot love another believer. But again, remember, it goes even beyond that to love our enemies. What an amazing challenge this is. Now, this seems to be out of place, and I'm going I'm to show you why I mean that in a minute. Verse 12, he suddenly says, No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected in us. It's a bit strange because John is saying something here that is also said in John 1.18. The same word spoken back in John 1.18 says, No man hath seen God at any time, the only begotten Son which is in the bosom of the Father. He hath declared Him. But John here in 1 John and John 1.18 do not have exactly the same thing in view here. In John 1.18 it's being said that God cannot be known except how God reveals Himself in Christ. What John is saying here in 1 John is saying that a man cannot know God 
know, he cannot know that God dwells in him by seeing God or talking to God, but that he knows that God dwells in him because the Spirit of God produces the intended effect. In other words, the fruit is going to be produced. The fruit, the evidence, the love, if we truly believe in Christ, if we're truly in the faith, then we will sincerely love one another. That's the evidence that God dwells within us. We can argue with God, but notice again what John says. His love is perfected in us. That means it has obtained or accomplished its intended purpose. It does not mean that God's love Right, that we can completely and perfectly in every way, shape, or form demonstrate the same type of love that he has for us, but that this is what's being produced as the evidence that God is there. Verse 13, Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he hath given us of his spirit. God's love will never fully be perfect in us until we are perfectly conformed to His image. And one day that is coming. We will no longer be about faith and hope. It will be the very image. We will be as He is. But you'll notice here that as this love is being perfected, John, verse 13 tells us that we know. Again, there's that word know John uses repeatedly. We know that these things are true. It's sincere. It's genuine. It's not just what you say, it's actually revealed and evidenced in what you do. If the Spirit dwells within you, the fruit of the Spirit is present. As we grow in the knowledge, as we grow in our sanctification, we grow also in the use and the demonstration of this love. This love of God that goes beyond any human comprehension to know that God dwells within us, to know that God has given us of His Spirit, to know that God has now told us that if the love of God dwells within us, then we know that we are in Him. Far too long we've used the love of God as a means or a measuring stick in which a person can just answer a series of questions and say, if you can answer all these questions in the affirmative, in the affirmative then you are saved. You cannot do the work of the Holy Spirit. Answering or affirming or confirming a series of questions about what you think about certain subjects does not guarantee or ensure salvation. What ensures that I'm a child of God, the presence of God is in me. The evidence, how is it seen? By my love for one another. I have love for the brethren. I have love even for my enemies. Why? Because there has been a work of God done in me. Those today who are truly persuaded that they are in fact the children of God, as John so beautiful, or Paul so beautifully puts it in the book of Romans, speaks about calling God our Father, Abba Father. We have an assurance. We have a sure knowledge and a hope of the love of God being in us. Dear friend, today, if you are here this morning and the love of God means nothing to you, then I'm calling you to examine your own heart. I'm calling you to examine what do you actually believe? 
If you profess to be a Christian today, you profess to be a believer, but the love of God simply doesn't have any real meaning to you. Or maybe today, like so many, off, so time, so many times often in our life, we wonder, do I love the way I should? These are, these are not a series of expressions just, to, just for the sake of saying. They're there to examine. Is the love of God in you? If so, then we will love one another. It will be demonstrated. Everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. If you've never repented of your sins, you've never believed the gospel and called on Christ to save you, I'm not inviting you to. The Bible commands you to believe. Believe the gospel. Repent of your sin. Trust in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.